You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Let's jump into the message this morning, and as we get into the message, I need to start off by talking about something that I know probably at least most of you woke up this morning from a dead sleep, and the first thought on your mind was, I hope I hear about pruning trees. Right? Um, <laughs> that went over as good this service as it has every service. And that's why I stuck with it. So probably all of us are familiar with this idea that uh, trees need pruning, right? Hang in there with me. You're going to love this. Uh, pr- <laughs> trees need pruning. And and the idea behind pruning trees is it's what makes them healthier, right? And, and it normally happens in the fall and winter before spring. And so it's, it's sort of these, one of these activities that if you're in a neighborhood and you don't really know much about pruning trees and you see some of your neighbors have pruned their trees, particularly like they get out a little bit late and it's a little bit cold and nasty out and you drive by one day and their tree is just like, looks like Edward Scissorhands attacked it. And you're like, uh-oh. Somebody butchered the tree, right? If you don't know about tree pruning, when you see a a tree that's been pruned, it can kind of catch you off guard because it looks like, to an untrained person, it looks like somebody has cut off all of the valuable parts of the tree, the stuff that produced fruit and leaves and the things that looked healthy growing out on the edges. It looks like all the good stuff got cut off. But really, there's something else going on. Um, And... Uh, back when I was in uh, Israel, I got a chance to go and walk through some ancient olive groves. And, and as I was going through there, I got uh, to experience the being uh, an untrained, uneducated olive tree trimming person, because I don't know anything about olive trees. I think I might have just recently learned before this trip that olives grew on trees. I try to avoid olives at all costs. Pizza, everything. But they grow on trees, and the trees that these guys grow on are big and huge and gnarly and ugly and scary-looking trees. And the, the cool thing, though, about these trees in Israel is we got to go see the oldest olive trees in the world, on the entire planet of the earth, to get to go and see some of the oldest type of this tree. That's a pretty cool thing. And so we went there, and what I learned about olive trees is they're really ugly, they're not very big, except the trunk. The trunks grow enormously wide, and so they look like these gigantic, huge, wide, ugly, scary, stubby-looking thing with a bush on top of it. Um, they're kind of comical to look at almost. And as we walked through the grove of olive trees, some of them looked really healthy and looked like they had a lot of branches on them, and then some of them looked like they were ready to be made firewood. Like they just looked like they were dead and had been dead forever. And what we learned is that these trees, like this one right here, that's a stump of an olive tree. And then off in the distance, you can see some other ones and uh, a variety back there. But that stump of the tree is not dead. Every year, they trim the olive tree back just a little bit, like a normal trimming, a normal pruning, and then they cut back the sucker branches. They cut off the stuff that needs to be pruned. But every 50 years, they do some serious pruning all the way back to the stump. 
They cut the whole thing all the way back and it allows the tree time to rest and recover, which is important because those trees that you're looking at are 900 to 1,000 years old. So they've learned some things about how to keep an olive tree healthy and producing good fruit for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's through this method. And so knowing about what it takes to prune properly is pretty important stuff. And I think all of us are familiar with the fact that as Christians in our faith journey, there are some times in our life where we go through seasons of pruning. There are oftentimes things in our life, behaviors, beliefs, characteristics about us that need a little pruning. Sometimes they look really good to people on the outside, but when it comes to being a really strong, faithful follower of Jesus, they may be things that God's like, although those look good on the outside, long term, they're not going to make you a healthy Christian. We need to do some pruning. Okay? So this morning, we're going to get into this psalm, and this psalm is Psalm 131. It's one of the psalms on our journey that we are uh, on. And so if you've been with us a while, you know that we're on this journey to God. We're kind of following in the footsteps of God's people who have continued to return to Jerusalem on pilgrimages. And as they would make their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, they would sing what are called the Songs of Ascent. And they're Psalms 120 through Psalms 134. And we've been reviewing and going through and teach, or, uh, learning from uh, these psalms. And today, we're going to look at Psalm 131. And this psalm is what could be thought of as a psalm that could help us do some pruning. And there's a couple of things in this psalm that we're going to unpack that are, it highlights a couple of things that are wise for us to look at and to wrestle with personally to see if they're things that might need some trim, trimming in our own lives, if we might need to cut back some of these things in our own life so that long term we have a healthy, vibrant faith that's growing fruit, okay? So we're going to look at this psalm together. It's short and sweet and nice, and a lot of the psalms we've looked at, when you read them, you're like, wow, that's not a real upbeat song. This one is really nice. It's got uh, a kind of some really positive, peaceful things to say. I want to read it, and I put it in your notes in the message translation just because I really love the way he kind of brings the, um, the words to life with uh, kind of a more modern English. And so um, let's look at Psalm 131. goes like this. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. Now, this psalm is going to help us maybe get rid of some stuff that looks good to other people from the outside, but it might not be stuff that if we let it keep growing is going to produce the right kind of fruit in us as Christians. And the thing about this psalm is it's one of these ones that's short and sweet, but the more familiar we are with this particular one, the, uh, the more we come to really understand it, the more that we can recall it, bring to mind the words of this song, the more it's going to help us prune some things that need pruned maybe when they come up. And so 
I think for Christians in particular, we could sort of think of this psalm like a couple of pairs of uh, those big old lopper things, you know, that you like trim trees with. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Those big things, they look like gigantic scissors. They're the kind of thing that you clip fingers off in a mob movie. Do you ever notice how sometimes when you think of a good analogy, it makes a lot of sense in your head, and then you say it out loud? Okay, so there are things that you trim branches with, and shrubs, and trees, right? Okay, this psalm, hang in there with me. I had to have an excuse to show my picture of a 900-year-old tree. There's not a lot of opportunities to show an olive tree. Today was the day. So we're sticking with pruning. So... This psalm is going to help us think of a couple of different things that we can prune, right? And, and things that we need to uh, wrestle with as Christians. And the first one that we need to look at, that this psalm will help us take a look at, is unruly ambition and pride. Unruly ambition and pride. And I put in the notes, sort of like also known as getting too big for your britches, I also found out as we were sitting in the office talking about this sermon and getting the sermon notes put together that um, me saying getting too big for your britches makes me an old grandpa guy because the young people in the office said, what is that? I'm like, what is what? They said, what's, what, why, what's also known as getting too, what are... I'm like, do you know what britches are? And, the, and Amy, who works in the office with us, she says, the only reason I've ever heard that is my grandpa said it. <laughs> so I'm old, and I have bad analogies today. So there we go. Uh, so we're going to look at unruly ambition and pride. And it, it starts off in the beginning of this psalm with this idea like th- these, these words, right? God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grand plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. And those words are really nice words, right? They, they sound peaceful, like really content. If you were describing somebody with this word, these words, you would think of a person you'd probably want to be friends with. Like it sounds like a person that's just really at peace, that's really content, that that life's going fine and they're just good. But then if you kind of personalize it and think about it from your own perspective, like if you dig into this psalm and you're thinking about these words and you're reading these words and you're holding them up to a to you like a mirror at yourself, like am I this way? Am, am I really living a life where I'm not about trying to rule the roost or be king of the mountain or meddle in other people's business or, or, or have grand plans, right? And you start to think about this, all of a sudden it gets a little bit more personal. Like, I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds nice and it sounds desirable, but I don't know if that's really the way my heart is. Yeah, I mean, some of you may hear this psalm, and it may just be like, man, I totally sync up with that. that. That clicks with me. I resonate with the author. Other people may be like, That's, those sound like nice words, but I, that doesn't sound like me. The challenge that we've got is that, that this psalm is kind of highlighting that this idea that there's this it's desirable to be content. It's desirable to be at peace, um, to be um, 
not trying to get to the top of the mountain, right? And we live in a culture that promotes and rewards and encourages completely the opposite. We, we live in a culture that rewards ambition and, and the, the self-made man, the self-made woman, the person that can get ahead, that doesn't need anybody, that can prove themselves. Like that kind of person in our culture tends to be uh, elevated and encouraged and valued. And so there's this challenge for us as Christians is, is that when the culture starts to reward and encourage and celebrate something that sometimes the Bible can call sin, we can get in a hard spot of like, how do we know the difference, right? Like what's, how do we navigate figuring out what is just healthy um, ambition or desire for good things versus like this area where it, it slides over into this sinful ambition, this desire to try and do everything on our own, to be our own God, to call our own shots, and it gets muddy, where once things might have been a little more obvious, now in the world that we live in, it's like, gosh, some of the things that the Bible says are sinful, the world says is awesome. This is just the way you're supposed to be. This is a, a desirable way to live, that, that you're supposed to just look out for yourself to get ahead, that you're supposed to um, uh, try and fight for what's good for you above everything else. And, and, and the, the Bible says that kind of sin trying to just be your own God, live for yourself, not depend on anyone, and surely not depend on God, is something that has been around since the beginning of time. We know that it's the same thing that they got Adam thrown out of the garden or Lucifer tossed out of heaven. It's, it's, it's nothing new. This do-it-on-your-own drive. What is kind of new about it is that the general admiration and reverence and respect that, that this type of living receives. It's almost elevated as the way to live. And so there's where the wrestle comes in. That's where the challenge comes in. And here we've got the psalmist talking to God about living a way quite contrary to what the world sort of uh, embraces and rewards. We've got the psalmist talking to God about this this life that sounds really humble and content. You know, I'm not trying to get to the top of the hill. I'm not trying to be the king of everything. I'm not trying to, to get into other people's business. I'm not trying to get over myself, over my head with big plans. I'm just trying to keep my feet on the ground, cultivate a quiet heart, live a life at peace with the Lord. And it's like, it sounds quite contrary to a lot of the pictures that we hear in the world about success and achievement and, and how to do well in the world. And so this is one of the things that this psalm starts to help us wrestle with and to think about what might need pruned. Like where do we land when it comes to ambition and pride? Are we in the camp that's maybe taken it too far? Do we need a little pruning in that area? Um, the next challenge comes from people who particularly realize the dangers of kind of pride and ambition of letting it go too far. And, and they kind of swing the pendulum all the way the other way. The idea of like, if for a Christian, if becoming overly ambitious or overly self-confident and, and reliant on self alone, if, the, if that's bad and sinful and risky, then the opposite must be way better, like, like completely down on yourself. 
to have uh, to think almost nothing of yourself like that you have no value that you're just a worm or just some decrepit depraved person that that re, that deserves nothing except the bad stuff like like this side over here isn't any better either and these are the people that that wrestle with that kind of belief tend to think of themselves as unworthy they don't see themselves as a treasure made in God's eyes. And they become the kind of people that are talked about like walked-on Christians that, that people just use and abuse and, and kind of just discard as less than or something. And it seems like sometimes these are the people that can find themselves in an unhealthy way, clinging to God with this sort of weepy dependence, like a victim at times, trying to just keep your head in the sand and ignore all the stuff and not address the things that you're thinking and the struggles that you're going through, just like, hey, hopefully maybe heaven will be better. In this psalm, it talks about this idea of being dependent on God and content with God like a child climbing up in, in God's lap, like a child who's been weaned. And so the second thing that this, this psalm could maybe help us prune is, is infantile dependency. This idea of refusing to cut the apron strings. And here goes analogy number two for grandpa. Um, apparently that's also not a common thing you say anymore because people under 30 don't know what an apron is, I guess. If you watch an old movie and a a person that's over 30 is cooking, they wear an apron in the kitchen. No? Nobody does aprons anymore. So it means nothing. Um, There's some other ways that we can unpack this idea of like being weaned. Um, The point is that the psalmist is trying to help us understand like God desires us to have this childlike faith, this trust in the Lord that's different than an infant. And so uh, Jesus gives us this picture of what that childlike trust looks like in Mark 10. It says, um, verse 14, it says, when Jesus saw what was happening, that they were trying to tell, the, tell kids not to come to him, um, it said he was angry with his disciples and he said to him, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. See, he doesn't give us this model of children as a way of faith because they're helplessly dependent. He's trying to help us pick up on some other things that are unique to kids. Probably some things that all of us are pretty familiar with. There's something awesome about when kids reach a stage where they just believe what you tell them. That there is this just beautiful, sincere faith and trust about a toddler with their parent. Probably every parent has experienced that when they're willing to jump off the counter or the second step or the third step and they just go for it because they just genuinely have no doubt you'll catch them. Like there's something about that that's really cool. And and I think that Jesus is using this model for the type of faith that we should have because children are willing to be led. They're willing to be taught and they're willing to be blessed. 
And so I put some stuff in your notes there of um, just kind of ranking yourself. Um, in our small groups, in our home groups, in the me and threes that we do, one of the things we always encourage is to use I statements. Um, it's easy for people when you get together in a group, whether it's just one-on-one or a small group, to talk externally about stuff. Oh, the church this, or the church needs that, or people in America, or, or everybody's like this, or nobody ever that. And we talk about hypothetical stuff. And in our groups, we try to say, hey, reel it in and use I statements. Talk about you and your stuff. You're an expert at that, not everything else. Like, stick, stick to you. And so I wanted to put some stuff in here to help you kind of do some self-evaluation so that when you're in your groups, when you're in your me and three, when you're talking with your friends, when you're sitting down at the dinner table or doing some quiet time with your kids, you've got some uh, content ready. And so the content there is just to do a little self-evaluation. Where are you at when it comes to being willing to be led like a kid? How willing are you to be led by God? How willing are you to be taught by God? How willing are you um, to be blessed? And so that's just for your own personal use. And then flesh that out in your groups that you're in. Um, The Jerusalem Bible uh, translates this passage at the end of the psalm really well. It, It just says it so cool. I put it in your notes, but it says, It's enough for me to keep my soul tranquil and quiet like a child in its mother's arms, as content as a child that has been weaned. I mean, you think about that. Are you in a spot in your relationship with the Lord that's spilling out into every area of your life where you could say a statement like this uh, about yourself, about myself, to say, you know what, as far as my life is concerned, it's really enough for me and my heart and soul to just be at peace and to be just relaxed like a kid in his mother's arms. Like that's the way I, the way I think of my relationship with, with the Lord right now. That's the imagery you would use to describe it. That you're just that content. He says, and content as a child that's weaned. And that's the, the verbiage and picture that the psalmist used too. The thing about weaning is the actual process of that happening is not that pretty. It's a little bit loud and messy. There's a lot of fits. Going with from a baby, an infant, who is dependent on mom and has only ever known one way of being fed and being comfortable, and, and they like that because it's all they've ever known, and going to a new way, like weaning them from that way to a new way, to something better, where mom's like, I know you've always liked this, but we're moving on to something new, and the something new comes in a jar and it's green. Trust me, you're going to like it, right? Well, that process ends up with a lot of backfire, like funny faces and spitting and, and, and temper tantrums, and like it, it's quite a process, but then you reach this other side of the weaning process where there's this peace and contentment like a little kid that can just climb up in his mother's arms and just knows life's good. But you don't get there without a little bit of mess, a little bit of challenge, a little bit of pushing back because going from what you're always used to to God stretching or pruning or growing you can sometimes be a little messy and a little bit painful. And I think a lot of us, um, at some point, 
started off this journey as infants in Christ and behaved a lot like babies behave. We, we only know what we know, and so we're comfortable with the way we came to learn. We're comfortable with the first place that we ever worshipped. We're comfortable with the way that the people were around us that prayed. And, and, and our journey to follow Christ started with some parameters, and that's what we're used to, and that's what we're comfortable with. And then we get around some things that are new or different, like, hey, what would it look like for you to pray out loud, or what would it look like for you to journal, or I want you to actually dig in and study God's Word. You might have to like stretch yourself and write notes on paper and you're like this is new and uncomfortable and I don't like it that's this weaning from this infantile dependency on the Lord but that weaning it leads to somebody being able to say the words like the psalmist says here that there's this contentment there's this peace there's this childlike trust And it comes as we go through the process of growing in our faith. And so this is a psalm that helps us wrestle with a couple of things that are common for us in our faith that we can get too big for our britches. We can get a little overly ambitious in certain areas. Our pride can start to get the better of us. And sometimes it needs a little pruned back. We need to reevaluate how are we doing in our heart? How are we doing in our, our personal desires and ambitions and drives versus uh, our ability to be humble and content and satisfied? It can also help us look at this idea of being, are, are we dependent on God in the way we've always known it, like a, like a little baby? And if anybody tries to change that, we're going to throw a temper tantrum because we don't like it. We only like it the way we like it. Are we willing to learn? Are we willing to grow? How willing are we to be led, to be taught, to be blessed, right? And so those are some things that we can wrestle with as we unpack this psalm. Um, I love what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this one. He said, uh, when he taught this psalm, he said that it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. This idea of really fleshing out peace and contentment with the Lord and a childlike trust. Easy to read. Long to learn. Uh, I'm just going to finish up with uh, a few questions for us. Um, I know uh, you guys, most of you all know, and if you're new with us um, at Real Life, our hope and desire is that everybody here is in a small group of some kind. You're plugged into a home group. You're in a women's group. You're in a guys group. You're in a little accountability group. Like You're plugged in with other people from church in relationship with a leader, and you're growing and being challenged and encouraged in your faith. Um, Probably now more than ever, that's stuff is super important. We live in a time where for the last many months, the messaging has been isolate, stay away. And and I'm not talking anything about any of the Corona stuff. I'm just talking about the implications that that message has on our hearts and our mental health and our spiritual health. People need to be in relationship with people. And although Zoom's nice and Facebook's nice, it's not a substitute for rallying around and being together. And so the last stuff I'm going to put in here is stuff to help you in your relationships, in your small group time, in your home group time to go through some of these things. So um, the, la- the first one up there is, it's, uh, it's, uh, is it easy for you to ask for help? And then to just talk about a time when it went, uh, how did it go? 
Good, bad, what did it look like when you asked for help? Uh, Next thing up is, uh, which of these words best describes you? Grounded, content, humble, or patient? If you think of those words, which one best describes you? And then here's the fun challenge on this stuff, is to take those and circle the one you think is best, and then if you're sitting at the table with your spouse or with your kids, say, hey, of these four words, which one best describes me? Or you all write them down and then trade papers and then answer and let each other see what you guys thought was each other. The cool part about that is all four of them are positive things, but it might be interesting to see how different people in your family or your home group might identify or say is your go-to thing. Uh, what's an area in your life that you might be, uh, God might be growing you in some childlike trust? So that one might require a little more transparency, a little more opening up about something maybe you feel like God's stretching you in. And then lastly is just to read Psalm 131 in a couple of translations and then rewrite it, personalize it in uh, your own words, and then share those with somebody. Share that with your spouse, share that with your roommate, share that with your home group about what does it look like if you were to rewrite that psalm. All right? So those are some things to kind of help spur you on outside of Sunday morning. Um, If Sunday morning is your only access to people and your only access to the Lord, it's great. And there are so many benefits about coming together and being taught and worshiping together and being around like-minded Christians, but it's a a very much one-sided conversation, if you know what I mean. You guys are stuck with all my jokes, whether you wanted them or not, and I don't get to hear any of your awesome ones. That's why you need to be in a relationship. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in a give-and-take relationship outside of Sunday in addition to this. So, um, Make sure that you are pursuing that, all right? Hey, we're going to finish with communion together this morning. So go ahead and grab your communion cups. And uh, those of you that are watching with us at home, this is your cue to grab your items for communion as well. And then we're going to take communion together. If you're new with us, um, we take communion as a church every week uh, so that we don't get far from remembering what uh, was accomplished for us on the cross. Every week, life has its ups and downs, but one thing that we need reminded of often is that our mistakes can be forgiven, that our sins can be forgiven, and not only that we can be forgiven, but that we can be restored into a right relationship with God, our Father, so that we can aspire to have that relationship where we're like a kid that climbs up in our dad's lap and we're just like, you know what? Life's just good today. That's available because of what Christ did on the cross and that's why we remember and take communion as a family every week. So we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He said, this bread represents his body which was broken for us. So let's take the bread and remember the body. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup represents a new covenant which was sealed with the shedding of his blood. So let's remember that as we take the cup. Well, let's pray. Father God, we we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thanks for this psalm. Thanks for the pictures that it brings to mind of peace and contentment and satisfaction and Um, just a childlike faith and trust. 
keep bringing those pictures to mind, keep stirring our hearts to become more and more like you and to just be living at peace with you. Lord, keep our um, ambition and pride in check. Keep teaching and growing us. Lord, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.